0: Welcome to Supply Chain Radio. My name is Greg Kiefer, and today I've got Dave Adams with me as my special guest. Dave, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Today we're going to talk a little bit about, I guess we'll call the outbound supply chain. I think when people think of global supply chains, they think of, well, let's make some stuff for real cheap in Asia and import it to North America or Europe and sell it to consumers. But there's a big opportunity with the outbound supply chain, and as somebody that is helping a lot of very large companies with that from an innovation perspective, what are you seeing going on there? Where is that on the radar of some of these companies?
1: It's interesting. It's kind of a typical consumer perspective. You put on your shirt and it says made in China. That's kind of the normal place you go offshoring and you look at jobs and where are things being made and we're bringing them back onshore or doing in Mexico or wherever it may be. So there is an element of supply chain in the news to a large degree is kind of an inbound, more retail apparel. You might think of it that way. But in the deals that I see in the customers, it's really everywhere to everywhere. And for sure, there are large, large companies that are obviously pure exporters. Some of the largest exporters in the world, we know, whether it's a warehouse or up in the Pacific Northwest exporting pulp and paper, which goes out to China. We have companies that export garbage, massive companies that export just stuff. And it's a huge, huge problem. Some of it's lower value stuff in terms of the goods and high volume. And it's all very important in the balance of trade and the balance of flow and looking at where equipment is and where it's not and how do you get empties back and forth. And if you're going to ship the empty back to China to fill it up with toys, you might as well fill it up with garbage and export the garbage a lot of economics that go in that, but that's not to suggest that obviously all exporters are exporting garbage. There's some some very strategic customers and companies that export high value added stuff obviously as well. But yeah, in many cases, I would say if you look at kind of commodities exporters, some of that process will be lower value goods, higher volume. So a lot of that logistics play is around how do you optimize and automate a bunch of that processing because you're booking so much freight and you need to really just know how your compliance is. Are you moving freight with the right carriers? Your margins are very thin, so you have to make sure you're very cost conscious.
0: I would think that as an exporter, there's a whole customer to service dimension with the right innovation in place. Your customers at destination need to know the materials that they're going to use to make stuff or sell. That's very important to those people, correct? Yeah, that's right.
1: Any VP of logistics or supply chain. Typically, if you go in and talk to them about supply chain, their natural focus will be on what you'll call as their export supply chain, because they want to get their goods, their product to their customer. And whether they're a manufacturing company that's exporting automobiles to a dealer, that's a very, very high visibility part. And for sure, the inbound parts into manufacturing is critical because you can't shut down a line. But ultimately, If you talk to the CEO at the top of the line, they want to get the latest and greatest product out to their customers. They want to make sure demand is there and they want to get them sold because that's where you get revenue. So I think the consumer in some cases, it's you you and me online buying a pair of shoes. That's a consumer and we want to know where is it and when's it going to get here, whether it's for Christmas or so I can wear it on Sunday for the race. Or if I'm a manufacturer, it's inbound into my supply chain. So I'm an exporter of goods that's going into someone else's manufacturing process and I need to give them visibility because if I don't, I can shut down their operations. You know, that's kind of the whole element of the traditional supply chain where I'm an exporter and my customer is an importer and I can shut down their operations.
0: From a technological standpoint, are there common things that you see somewhat universally that a lot of companies are addressing or taking action on that's low hanging fruit or common value that they're able to glean out of that export supply chain?
1: Most of the exporters, first bucket would be, we just need to do it more cheaply. Dep- again, it depends a little bit on what the commodities you're exporting. But if it's lower value, higher volume, it's going to be around cost management. And if it's higher value, if it's you know consumer goods, then there's a pretty strong push now to get visibility out to my customer where my stuff is. There's a very low tolerance on the customer service side for companies not to be able to give their customers visibility to where the product is. You can track anything on Amazon to the hour when it arrives. And for companies to have to go to their customers and say, I'm going to ship you something that's a million dollars and can't really tell you where it is or when it's going to get there, that's no longer acceptable. So that's a strong push. How do you get, if you're an automotive company or a tractor company, trying to give visibility of your finished goods to a dealer, those dealers need to be able to go somewhere and find out exactly when that product is coming in. Tractors is a great example because when that tractor comes in, things happen to it before it can go into action. Sometimes you need to put on a GPS system or you got to put on the tires or the wheels or something. And until that happens, it can't go out. So there's kind of a merge and transit exercise going on where you got to plan for all these parts to come together. And until they're all together that in my brain, I'm thinking a mining piece of equipment now, those things are a million dollars a day if they're not running. So if you miss it by a day, that's a big mistake. You need to give your dealer, your customer visibility to when things are coming in and they need to know for sure.
0: Right. So you mentioned that comparing something to say Amazon or a book that you bought for 10 bucks versus one of these complex expensive machines. Yeah. Is that really a fair comparison? Yeah. It's fair because
1: from a consumer point of view, it's like my kids who are in college now, they have zero tolerance for anything that's not immediate. (laughs) I think it used not to be a fair comparison. It's why people would say, well, you know, those are the integrators, the FedExes and the UPS and they own all their own trucks and they own their airplanes and therefore everything's in the same system so they can tell you exactly where it is. But once you get above a parcel, then you're dealing with these big containers and the data's in all these other systems and all these other people own it. So there's no one place to go. And that's solvable with technology. It's what companies are out there solving today. So I think it's a fair comparison. I think the standard should be high. You set the bar. It's not easy, but I don't think it's illogical to tell a customer when they place an order for an expensive something that you should be able to tell them when it's going to get here.
0: What would one of these companies do if it was faced with a OEM or a plant shutdown? And that's a very costly thing for a supplier potentially depending on what the plan is yeah what would they do and how would the technology help them do that to some degree it's a little bit too late at that point you know when the tsunami hit
1: in japan of course that shuts down supply chains there was some i forget exactly what it was but there's some metal that is part of chip manufacturing that was only produced in certain parts of the world and for whatever reason the northern japan areas had it and many high-tech companies were caught off guard And when that supply source broke down catastrophically, in that case, they had real problems with demand. So I would say that to some degree, you need to use the technology and the data and the insight to identify where you have supply risk, right? In terms of product risk or flow risk or government risk with ports being shut down or weather risk. There's a supply chain network risk assessment. It's based on history. It's based on data and analytics. And you need to do you know, do the things that they teach you in supply chain 101, which is look at your components. And typically people do the 80-20 rule. They know the 20% of the parts that are 80% of the value, and they know exactly where those suppliers are. And those are not the parts that shut down your manufacturing line. Historically, what happens is it's the bolt that only one supplier can make, and it's an 11 cent piece. And that supplier goes out of business because not of a hurricane risk, but maybe financial risk. And you're not tracking it. And then you disrupt your supply chain and you're dead in the water. So technology can be very, very good at looking at supply chain flow and network analysis and there's consultants that can help as well, but it has to be based on data and analytics. And in large part, I think you need to plan for that stuff in advance and mitigate risk.
0: Are there situations where these, say an exporter and an importer or a buyer and a seller could get together on the same technology and kind of information share to make sure that they're both on the same page so these kinds of things don't happen?
1: Yeah, for sure. We see that happening today. And it's not only a buyer and a seller, it's a buyer and a seller and a buyer, or a buyer, a seller, a buyer, and a seller. So you get into kind of raw materials collaboration where I know of one customer who was working with their suppliers and their suppliers were having a hard time getting raw materials, cotton specifically, because there was a shortage of cotton. And this buyer went kind of leapfrogged, went back to the raw material manufacturer and actually in bulk procured a bunch of the cotton so that they could keep their suppliers in business. So they jumped in there. So that's an element of kind of collaboration around the raw materials piece, which is happening absolutely. And then the other is just sharing forecasts and sharing volume and sharing capacity. And if I want to order 50,000 shoes, my supplier should be able to tell me not only they can accept it or not, but it shouldn't be a one-way, I need shoes, can you meet the demand? Should be a little more collaborative with my suppliers telling me, hey, here's what I need and here's my capacity and here's my demand. And if you get that right, you can optimize it with systems, but even before that, you can optimize it with just visibility and control and coordination. There's uh, huge opportunities, even at the basic levels, just with kind of new technology around collaborating and communicating with partners on the inbound, on the export and the import side.
0: And I would think that, again, going back to where we started with this whole conversation, where the supply chain being, you know, make it over there for cheap, ship it over here for for cheap and sell it for better margins. As companies open, say, retail stores in these new regions and these new economies in the you know, in the Far East, for example. Yeah. That whole dynamic of, as you said, it goes all ways. It's not really an import supply chain or an export supply chain. It's a supply chain.
1: <laughs> yeah, and it used to be you're either importing from your suppliers or exporting to your customers. And a lot of times now it's importing from yourself or setting up a new franchisee model and you're doing a first sale model where you're the documentation, at least, is exporting to your own entity You know, for tax reasons, which makes perfect sense. And the physical flow might mimic that or might be a little different. You can get a PhD in it, lots of variations on the import export model and how goods and documentation moves. And sometimes the flows aren't even the same, but you have to have an information replica of your physical supply chain, and then you can monitor it. You can run metrics against it. You can set alerts against it. And you're right. It's not kind of a linear
0: inbound output supply chain. It's a little more of a network type model if you were to draw it. When you think of exports, you think of agriculture or scrap metal or garbage, and it's very possible that the most high-end retailers and high-tech companies might be exporting from North America to Asia before long more than they're importing. Absolutely.
1: All you need to do is move product from Mexico into the U.S. or U.S. to Canada, even here in North America, and these are exports. They're cross-borders, so you need all the documentation, and it might be on a truck. Typically, we think exports going on you know, big vessels or air, but hop over to Europe and everything's on truck exports. But there's tricks to it. And like I said, you can get a PhD in it, but you need some type of a control platform. You got to control the stuff and manage it or it's chaos. And many companies that you walk into, you know when you're in the logistics and transportation wing because there aren't any windows (laughs) and it's really, really loud and chaotic and everyone's fighting fires and it doesn't have to be that way. There's always an element of, of chaos. I get that, but it can be a little more planful. And we see that, we definitely see a trend towards more planful activity. A few more rooms that are quiet where people are analyzing data making decisions, doing risk analysis, as opposed to just constantly reacting.
0: Probably constant change is the name of the game, right? This is why they keep talking about agility and you're never done. It's never over. Yep. Onshore, offshore, import, export. It's a moving target for sure. Okay. Well, thanks a lot for coming on the show. Thank you. This is Greg Kiefer, Supply Chain Radio, and we are signing off. (laughs)